verses 24 through 30, through 29. Verse, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, verse 24 through 29. And we had, when he had given thanks, this is Paul recounting the uh, Lord's table, Holy Communion experience. And he says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament, New Testament, in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man so examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And text verse is verse 29, as we just read. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The Lord's body. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He's having to go back and reteach them some things that they should have known. This is a young church. It's only five years old when Paul wrote this word to them. A young part of the body of Christ. And already they had forgotten truths that he had taught them. They had forgotten the disciplinary things that God set forth through his apostles to be disciplined in the body of Christ. He had taught them unity. They had forgotten the unity of the body of Christ. He was having to go back and reteach that. He was having to go back and teach them restraints in their life. That there's things you cannot do because you're a Christian. True, you're free to do all things through Jesus. But we don't do all things because we're restrained by the Holy Spirit. And too many times as I look across the world today, I see Christians who are not restrained. I see too much disunity within the body of Christ. I see people who are undisciplined within the body of Christ, feeling that they have the latitude to do anything that they wish to do. And it's not only us because Paul says that they're doing the same thing in the church in Corinth, and they're young in God. They're a young church in God. And it's applicable too into the, into the Christian life. Those young in God can receive the things that we're going to talk about today. Because what's true for the body of Christ is true for the individual within the body of Christ. There's restraints, there's unity within the body and within the individual. Paul is having to go back in this letter it says in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 1.1 that he, he had to go back and reprove his apostolic authority to these people. He's having to go back and reaffirm the fact that I'm not speaking of myself. I'm speaking under the authority of Jesus and under the authorship of the Holy Spirit and by his leading. These people had evidently forgotten that. They had forgotten that. And I see it in the church today. The church is forgetting this fact. 
that when leadership and within the body, when we care about one another, we're not supposed to be functioning in flesh, but through the guidance of the Holy Spirit in these things. Thank you. That's an excellent time for an amen. I need a witness. Remember, remember the guy who came with us? I need a witness. I like that. Praise the Lord. Paul had seen Jesus. That was a requirement for an apostle who had seen Jesus. This is one thing which establishes canon. This, which we hold and which we use, is one of the criterion for establishing canon that you have seen Jesus, that you were taught directly by Jesus. Paul said in 11.23, just above what we've been reading, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. I received that from the Lord. I didn't, it didn't come out of my psyche. It didn't come out of my, my uh, intellect. It came out of the leadership of the Holy Spirit as he moved through my life and as he touched me. Paul reached then to a passage which should have been familiar to them and was familiar to them to draw some truths. He had to go back and reaffirm some things of what Jesus was teaching in that upper room when he instituted the Lord's Supper. It was more than just a sit-down meal. There's more there than just getting together. And we have communion or, or Lord's Supper in this place and other churches. It's not there to, for symbolism. There's truths involved in that thing. There's truths for us involved in this. And Paul is telling them, you've forgotten some of these things. I'm going to have to go back and reteach you some of the truths that are here. Paul's telling that when Jesus sat down with the twelve in the upper room, they were familiar with the Passover from Egypt and what the Paschal Lamb meant, the sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb and the truths involved in that thing about sacrificing the Lamb. You know, they had to take that Lamb into their home. In Egypt, that little Lamb, they had to take that thing into their home for three days. It had to be a perfect Lamb. No blemishes. They had to search its coat, search it completely throughout, make sure there was no blemishes in it at all. Nothing. And they had to take that in there and they lived with it for three days. And they cared for it and they nurtured it and they loved it and it became a part of them. And then they sacrificed it. That's a truth in there. Paul was retelling them this. And he's saying, I'm having to reaffirm some of these truths that Jesus sat down when he was with his 12 in the upper room. There's things you need to remember about that. The church over the ages, since Jesus was with his 12 in the upper room, the church has evolved into a certain amount of formalism even when we have the Lord's Supper. There's a certain amount of formalism in that. And it slid to the point where and these are important things that we, we look at the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We look at that if we're being true. And we look at the commission that he gave unto the church to do certain things. That was a lengthy evening meal. Didn't start at night. It was a lengthy evening meal for it says it was night when they went out. But they drew aside in fellowship for an extended period of time, and Jesus taught them. If you want to look at the 
It's in there somewhere, Mary. So, what is it? Thank you. Lord, some of them get hard to get out. Thank you, Jesus. Synoptic Gospels. He taught them many things that afternoon. Many truths. And looking at his, at his, uh, his cross sacrifice and the commission that he gave to us, all these are great. And they're wonderful things to look at Christ and the cross. And they're necessary. But Paul is telling the Corinthians that there's more to it. There's more to it. There's things that you've forgotten. Because it's strange when we look at the upper room experience and we see the attitude that prevailed there. For it says, when God was talking to Moses back in, in Exodus 12, and chapter in verse 11, and this is the way they observed it then in Exodus 12 11. And God told Moses, He said, This is the way you're going to have served the Paschal lamb. You're going to eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you'll eat it in haste. You'll hastily consume this meal. Because it is the Lord's Passover. That was the Lord's Passover. But a strange thing happened in the upper room with Jesus. It was no longer fully God's Passover looking forward. It was a now experience. Because we see not a hasty environment in the upper room. But we see an environment where these fellows are are lying around, you know, they didn't sit at tables as we do, but they had a circular circular meal, uh, a circular table, and they lounged around that, and one laid upon the other. That's why John was lying upon the pastor, uh, upon the uh, Jesus's breast. They laid upon one another, kind of a propped up situation with their feet extended out and, and kind of a spoke. But we see an attitude in that upper room. There was a peace, no haste. There was a peace there. There was a restfulness there in their rest in Jesus. There was no haste there, no excitement. Why? The lamb was still there. There was fellowship. Not each person drawing aside to reflect on their sins. <clears throat> As the Jews reflect even today, on the day of Passover, they do certain things. And it's a self-purging. Well, we rest in Jesus, you and I, in this day and since he instituted it here. And this is what Paul is saying. There's more to the, to the Lord's Supper than you're seeing. True, it's the cross. But there's more. There's more to it. What was happening? Jesus, before the eyes of the apostles, was changing forever the way that they observed Passover feast. He was changing that. He was laying new truths for them. He was laying down new concepts and methods of doing that, that they would remember. What's he saying? He's saying, don't box God in. It's before the, the upper room, God had functioned in certain ways. After the cross, God functions in different ways. 
A lot of people get used to thinking and that God always does everything ex exactly the same way. True, God never changes. He never changes. But his methodology changes. His way of doing things, his growing within you, the way you grow, changes as you, as you grow in Christ. And Paul is reteaching the Corinthians that you don't know everything when you're a young church. There's growth has to take place in that. And there's a danger when a young church has a young pastor. They need maturity. And there's danger in a young Christian life if they go off on spur groups, if they get saved in crusades and don't attach themselves to a local church where they can be fed, there's a danger in that. That they need. They need the substance of mature Christians around them. They need to learn humility. And they need to learn the working of the Holy Spirit and how He grows within a life. And how He brings you into maturity. You know, you do not go from saying yes to Jesus in one breath and being able to pray the prayer of faith in another. It takes growth. Glory. It hurts. Growth hurts. It's painful. It's painful for the body. And it's painful for the individual. But as we grow, there's a rest within God. And it comes through. You don't rest in God when you're first saved. Okay? There's a confusion that goes through that first period. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit of God and with the evidence of speaking in tongues, it's not a restful experience. You've probably never been more confused in your life. You were feeling all these surging things within you. Lord, it's like... It's like I've got all the power in the world. I've got a new Bible that speaks things to me I've never seen before, never heard before. I'm feeling these feelings swell up within me. I don't understand them. I feel power in my life now that I've received the baptism. But after maturing comes the rest within God. Doesn't diminish the power. Some of the greatest people in the world speak with a soft voice. Why? It's once you understand that you can be at rest in Jesus. It's once you understand who you are in Christ and how to fight Satan, that you can rest within him. And this comes through yielding yourself and myself, not only to the Holy Spirit, but to those that God has raised up above us in authority, not in, not in preeminence and not in betterness, but just in authority because they guard our souls they guard our souls. And God help the people that He raises up who, who abuse power or authority. It's a frightful thing to stand in the presence of an angry God. And we learn this as we mature. And as we go, as we learn rest, we learn to use that which God gave us with great wisdom because we'll account for that. There's an application to the Lord's Supper. Paul, both Paul and Jesus are saying that we need to understand. Sure, the broken body, when we observe the bread, we, under, we need to understand the broken body of Christ. And some have forgotten that. They had forgotten it in this church, the Corinthian church. They had forgotten. They had wanted to move out in, in their own abilities. I've got the best doctor in town. 
and I'll go to see him if something's wrong. I don't know where I heard it, but I heard some person speak wisdom. They said, you ought to go. I think it was W.V. Green. He said, you need to go to the doctors that you shall live closest to. If you live closest to Dr. Schwarzenbogen, I hope we don't have any Schwarzenbogens in here this morning, then you need to go see him. But if you live closer to Dr. Jesus, you need to go see him first. Lee, are you saying that we don't need to have medical doctors to reaffirm what God has done? No, sirree. You pray for God, let him touch you, and then have it reaffirmed through any medical staff you want to because God does it right. He, he's not afraid to have his, his word authoritative, authenticated. He, he'll, he'll verify his word. Paul had to reteach these. He said you need to consider the broken body of Christ. And I, there's people who aren't considering the broken body of Christ. They'll, they'll talk about the blood. And they'll take the, the blood at the, at the Holy Communion and they'll drink that and they'll eat the wafer. But they don't consider the body, what Jesus went through, the sinless body, the broken body of His to give us present day healing. And Paul was saying that to these people, to the Corinthians, you need to consider that the healing is available to you through Jesus, through the miraculous touch of God. Sometimes it's miraculous in that it happens now. Sometimes it's miraculous in that you grow into your healing. But it's there and it's available. And people don't consider that. I'm talking about church. I'm talking about the church. Sick church. Brethren and sisters in Christ. Not being where they ought to be. Not understanding what was being taught at the Lord's table. On that night. There's a corporate healing. And an individual healing. There's healing for the Christian body. And there's healing for the world. An unsaved person can get healed. Through the cross. Through the broken body of Christ. He'll touch anyone who will come to him. He's not. He's not limiting his healing. To select groups. You don't get good enough. To receive healing from God. That's why some saints are sick. And that's why some unsaved people get healed. Because God will honor His Word if we'll believe. If we'll believe, He'll honor and He'll heal. And it's available through the broken body. And He'll heal through the blood. We can't discount either one. The blood of Christ. Salvation. Through the blood of Christ. All it signifies when we take that cup is we're honoring the blood of Christ. We're acknowledging that what He did in our life, He changed me. If you were to go back and talk to some of the people who know, used to know me, Lee, years ago, they could probably recount things. I don't remember. I truly don't. I don't remember these things when they bring them to me because that person is dead in Christ. He doesn't exist anymore. He's dead. We need to be dead in Christ. And you can't do that, first of all, until you start right where you are. Don't wait. To... It's amazing. It's amazing how Satan can plant a lie. I was trying to, I was talking to a, a fellow the other day. And he thought that he had to do things to God to get ready to receive the Word. 
And I said, you don't do that. That's not the way it works. You start at the point of your need. When you become aware that you need a Savior, you search out the blood of Christ, and it cleanses from all sins right then. Right then it cleanses. Then you're a new person. Then you start a life with help in Christ to rebuild a life. But you're dead in Christ. Those old things are passed away. All things become new. Hallelujah. Praise God. There are new things in my life. Salvation brings a new life. We start living eternity from the very moment that we say yes to Jesus. We don't expect to die because we never do. We never die. From the time that you say, yes, I'll make you the Lord of my life, we never die. This, this thing that we're housed in, this fleshly thing, if God uh, doesn't tarry, or if He tarries rather, and we go through the, the grave, we'll lay this thing down. But I tell you what, I used to place a great importance upon this thing, but I'm learning more and more how fragile and how little it means to me. Because God has worked the work. He's, he started turning me around. And he's, he's working things in my life as He is yours. We're learning to move through the spirit man, not through the, the body man anymore. You see, when we're first saved, our mind is still used to thinking body. Feed this thing. Tenderize this thing. Give this thing pleasure. But when we have a new spirit, the body is still dominant. That's why we have to renew it over into the, to making the body and the, and the mind come in line with what the Spirit is doing. And we do that by recognizing the broken body and the blood of Christ at the communion table. At the communion table. And there's rest in that. And we need to recognize too that we can play games we can go into organizations. We can place ourselves in fellowships that say unto us, God is like a mountain, or a mountain, for if we have any northerners in here. God's like a mountain. If you don't go up this way, you can go up this way. You can go up for this ideology. You can go up through this pro thought process. You can go up by recognizing this truth or this truth as long as you get to the top. That's all that matters. If you want to believe in some kind of ism, Confucianism, or any other kind of an ism, that's okay. Truth of God is understanding God. But that's a lie. There's only one way. Only one way to the top. Only one way to God, and that's through Christ Jesus. And we'll never, never have life eternally unless we go through Him because He says anybody else who comes up any other way is as a thief and a robber. A thief and a robber. And I, I hate a thief. I absolutely hate a thief. I'd rather, I'd rather give you anything I've got than to have you steal a penny off of me. I would. I hate it, Brother William. I hate a thief. I think it's one of the lowest things in the world. I think that's why God included them in the early church, in, in the early teachings about thou shalt not. I think He abhors them too because you don't get something for nothing.
It doesn't work. That's why communism will never work. That's why socialism will never work. That's why all the communal activities will never work. They never have, they never will. You don't get something for nothing. There's a price. And it's been paid. That's what we need to understand. The body and the blood paid the price. Glory. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Okay, so. Lee, if we're not only to look at the body and the blood when we have Holy Communion, what are you talking about? What else is there? Paul says to the Corinthians that there's more. There's more to this thing. What are you talking about? Paul is saying that when you draw aside and you commemorate this Holy Communion before God, it's body language. It's body language he's talking about. It's family language. Not an act of, of going through a, a ritual, but it's an act of being aware of the needs within the body of Christ. Christ is the head. He's not the body. We're the body of Christ. He says, you, these things come because you fail to discern, not the head. He's complete. It's because you fail to discern the needs within the body of Christ. There's times that I hurt. There's times that you hurt. There's times I have needs. There's times when you don't understand what I'm doing. There's times I certainly don't understand what you're doing. There's times I don't understand what we're doing. And it's not always necessary. But I need to be attuned to the spiritual feeling through the Holy Spirit of your need. And you for me. You don't have to understand everything about me. It's not necessary. You may not even like everything that you understand about me. And that's not even necessary. I wish it were. You know, I mean, it's nice to be, it's nice to be loved. It's nice to be appreciated. And it's nice to be wanted. But I tell you something. I learned, and it was painful a long time ago, to quit worrying about what people thought about me. That's right. If you do that, you're never going to do anything for God. Because Satan can always put somebody in your path that says you're nothing, you're not worthy, I don't see in your life what you're claiming. I don't see coming out of you the fruits that you say coming out of your mouth. I don't appreciate the way you comb your hair. I don't appreciate, you know, your diction or, or various and sundry things about you. I don't appreciate that. But then on the other side, there's always somebody else come up to you and say, oh, you bless me. I've looked at your life in some areas and you bless me. You just bless me because I see your consistency. I see the consistency within you. And, and the things that you've learned, I learned, some of the things that you've learned, I learned from you, and I didn't have to go through that experience. We don't have to travail and anguish in all cases. Sometimes God gave us an intellect to learn from other people. We're supposed to be smart enough, Tommy, that when we see an obvious truth and it lines up with the Word of God, that we don't discount that thing because of our hard-headedness and go ahead and do it and pay the consequence. We're supposed to be able to learn. We're supposed to be teachable. Amen. Praise God. So Paul is saying, this is body language we're talking about. We're supposed to be caring about one another. Verse 28. In the second Corinthians there, or first Corinthians we're just reading about. 
but let a man examine himself. You don't examine me. You don't have the right to examine me. Amen. God didn't give you that right. I don't have the right to examine you. But I need every day, every second, every minute to examine Lee and keep him in order. And if I take care of me, I used to feel this way when I used to mess around with airplanes. I figure if I got Lee there okay, the rest of them in the back would be okay. Because they're going to get there about a half a second after I do anyway. That's right. Praise the Lord. Examining ourselves. Recognizing that we, an in, we are an integral part of the body of Christ. You may be a foot. You may be a hand. You may be an eye. You may be an ear within the body, symbolically speaking. But we're a part of the body. And we need to start acting like a body complete. And that's part of the message today is we need to start acting like a body complete. We need to get rid of the leaven of a sin. When God started instituting laws back in the Old Testament, when he brought them out of Egypt, which is a symbol for sin and darkness, he was telling these people, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to set up uh, with sin in your life. You need to draw aside and be pure before me. And after the cross, Jesus speaks to our heart and says there comes a time when you need to get the sin out of your life. When you need to get the sin out of the body of Christ. The churches and the parts of the body who are going to go on with God and move into this last day power and expansion of the gospel are going to be those who don't preach the social gospels and you've heard it. They're going to be those who speak and say, thus saith God, and we act on that. And we learn to shake off the spots and the wrinkles and to move within the Holy Spirit. Caring about one another. Forgetting about me, the great I. I deal with people all the time and almost invariably when you get outside of technical things, one of the first things that comes out of their mouth is, I do this and I do that. I, 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 I. I get, this, this, is, this is a spirit-filled church. Okay, I'm just pointing out some truths that Paul was pointing out some truths to these people. There's things that we've forgotten when we sit down as a corporate body. Every time we come together, we're having communion. We're observing the body. And he's validating that through signs and wonders. I heard the question asked, <clears throat> why isn't God punishing in today's church as he used to in the Old Testament? You know, back then, God snuffed out a life like that. Remember that? Remember the guys? They were, they were doing the Lord's work, you know, and, and the, the ark started to fall, and they, they were going to support the thing. They put their hands up there, and they fell dead immediately. Ananias and Sapphira. They were in the church. They're saved. But yet God took their life like that. Why isn't God punishing like that today in today's church? Why does sin in Christian lives seems to go unchecked by God? Why does he allow them to go on? 
Well, let me let you in on a secret. This may come as a shock to some of your nervous systems because when I learned it, it was a great truth in my life and it was a great awakening. <clears throat> It'll reinforce the scripture. God is punishing sin today by liquidating Christians. Did you hear me? I said God is liquidating Christians because they continue to operate in sin unchecked in their lives. We're supposed to have 70 and 80 years on this earth and more if we desire it. I don't think I'll probably desire it. As long as, as soon as I've accomplished what I feel in my mind and I'm at peace with God, Barbara, as to what he's called me to do, man, you can pack my bags. I'm ready. I'm ready. But God is. He's punishing sin. We see Christians dying at 18 and 20 and 25 and 30 and 50 and 60 years of age under the judgment of God. They, well, no, they got killed in a car wreck. Don't kid yourself. Not a sparrow falls without God knows it. Every hair of your head is numbered. And God knows it. And if you're His and you're underneath His protection, He cares for you. When you hurt, He hurts. When you break His will, He knows it. And if you continue to break His will unchecked, He punishes that. Don't kid yourself. God is punishing sin. He's a God of love. God of love wouldn't do that. Don't kid yourself. He's also a God of justice. He'll not tolerate unchecked sin. He'll go along with you for a while. He will. He'll go along with you for a while. But unless we start dealing with the sin in our lives, you better get your affairs in order to make a will. That's right. That's frank, but that's, that's blunt, but that's true. I'd get it all in order. Because we're eating and drinking damnation, it says in verse 29 and 30. For he that eateth and drinking, drinketh unworthily, is drinking damnation to himself, not discerning the body of Christ, not discerning what that person next to you needs. If you go ahead and turn your turn a deaf ear to that person next to you, or you turn a blind eye to their need, or you go on in flagrant sin, you're drinking damnation to your soul. And God will punish that. He'll punish it. And what are we doing? We said God was a God of law, a God of love, but of justice. And when we go ahead and continue with flagrant sin before God, we're in effect saying, I agree with you, Lord. We're entering into agreement with, with God that he has to punish us. We might not recognize that that's what's happening. But there's power when we agree with the Holy Spirit on the positive side. Is that not true? Amen. There is. Where two or three agree, there I am in the midst of them. We enter into agreement with God. If we continue in flagrant sin before Him, we enter into agreement with God saying, you have the right to do this. I don't buy this stuff about ag uh, agnostics. And, and, and whether there's a great God or not, we know within the, our being that there's a God. We can lay that psychological junk on somebody, but we don't buy that. There's a God who punishes if we continue. He has to. It's His law, and He has to stand by His Word. 
If he says, thus saith God, I'll, I'll give you strength in this area and I'll save you here. And he says, if you don't do this, I'll punish you over here. And we say, God, we know you're going to honor this, but we don't, we're not really sure you're going to honor this part about killing us. Are we kidding ourselves? No, he has to do it. His word has to be true. We're entering into agreement with him. Thirdly, there's restoration within God. There's restoration. When all the things we've talked about have broken down and our lives are a mess, I don't see too many people come to God when everything's right. I just don't see that many. Maybe you know of some. I don't think I could come up with a name if I had to. Who came to God when they were on top of the world. Most of the time we come to God when we've got a problem that we can't cope with. That's gone beyond our logic and beyond our capabilities. That's when we start seeking, oh God, if you just get me out of this mess this time, I'll never ever, you know, like the guy, you know, made the, made the Lord a better deal. The old story. There's restoration. Sure, it's possible. But it costs something. It costs the cross. And it costs the blood. And it costs the body. And it costs digging with the body of Christ. And it costs gauging our own individual lives as we've talked about today. Judging ourselves. For it says in verse 31 and 32, when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Judging ourselves. Maturing in Jesus. And we said it's painful. It's a painful process. We think that salvation, if we, if we give up those friends and we say yes to Jesus, that everybody we know and all of our lifestyle will be drastically changed and we'll be alone. You don't have to give up a thing. You don't have to give up one thing to follow Christ. <clears throat> Just say yes to Him and allow Him to start replacing things in your life. Pastor uh, Fulton has said many times in various ways you don't have to worry about the people you associate with. You start speaking about Jesus and you look around, all of a sudden they won't be there any longer. It's like the, the evangelist was, was uh, preaching in the crusade. The young girl came up said, if I, if I accept Christ, I can't dance anymore. I love to dance. I love to go to the discotheques and I love to do all that. And he says, darling, don't worry about it. Accept Jesus. Go back in there and get yourself right with God and you can go into those places you want to. And she came back out. She said, you fox. He said, I don't want to do those things. I don't care to do them now. He's replaced things in me. He's, he's made an exchange in my life. Praise God for his exchange process. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Self-judging is painful. And God chastens. But he says in 1 John 1, 9, that if, we're, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to beat ourselves with sticks. We don't have to go through mental anguish. We don't have to hurt. We don't have to feel estranged from God and run from him. It's just as simply as saying, Lord, I blew that one. I really blew that one. Forgive me for it in the name of Jesus and I'll try not to make that same mistake that way ever again. And He's faithful and just by His Word to forgive us and to cleanse us and we're just as if it never happened. 
praise God for the for such a God with that kind of depth. I love a God with that kind of depth. That he can't even remember. People, people hurt me deeply. And in the world, I didn't forget it. When I was unsaved, I didn't forget it. I had a mind like an elephant, boy. You, you wound me. And somewhere down the line, you'd hear about it. And when I became a, a young Christian, a lot of that's carried over. You wound me. And, well, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not going to forget it. But I've learned that that sort of thing will eat you alive. It'll absolutely eat you alive. You've got to learn to deal with this area in your life and allow to God to forgive you at that point of sin. And then the next most important thing is to forgive yourself. And that's the hardest. Sometimes it's easy to accept the forgiveness of God, but it's hard to forgive ourselves because we want to feel like we've got something to do with it. I want to be involved in getting me saved. I want to be involved in getting me healed. I want to be involved in getting me forgiven. No siree, there's nothing you can do. It's a gift of God. It's free. And He made it that way. And He built it that way. And He reaffirms it that way. And He stands on it that way. And He purposefully did it that way so that you'll be under obligation to Him. Hallelujah. Boy, I love to talk about Jesus. I love to talk about Him because I know where I came from. And you do too. You know where you came from. This next thing just thrills my soul because it deals with some of our pent-up piousness. Let me show you my Christian profile. <laughs> Ooh, glory to God. <laughs> Paul tells these people, it's possible to live the Christian life. It's hard. Living a Christian life is not easy. But we've got help. And you can do it. It's possible to be an example to the world. He says over in 11.1, the very beginning of this chapter we've been reading from, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Be followers of me. He didn't say, follow Jesus and let me be humble before you, and maybe together we can reach the great truths. He says, no, look at my life. I'm what God looks like. When he speaks, I'm what God sounds like. When he loves, I'm what God loves like. And when he chastens and we speak admonishments to one another, I'm admonishing as God would admonish. And Lord, help those in the body of Christ that admonish one another out of flesh. If God tells you to admonish a brother or sister in Christ, you better know what spirit you're under. But Paul says, look at me. I'm an example. And he says this to encourage us. After we've made the Christian experience, we move out and Paul says, you can do it. He's like a cheering section for us. He, he said, you can grow in Christ and you can be what Christ wants you to be. It's possible. It's absolutely possible to live in this world and not be of this world. And too many people don't think they can. Too many people don't think they can. He says, be followers of me. The world needs an example Christian. They need an exemplary Christian in the workplace. 
Sometimes you're the only light that's there. But if the darkness is great, do you what you you know, sometimes we walk on the beach at night and we look way out at sea. And the only thing we see when there's a black, a black horizon and a black sky, not many stars, we'll look out there and we'll see one little light. It may just be some guy lighting a, a lighter or a small pin light, but it carries a great illumination when the darkness is so dark and so black. And that's the Christian life. When we walk through the darkness of this world and we let our light shine, it's a great light, but it's supposed to be reflective of Christ in us. It's supposed to illuminate the world. And Paul says you can do this. The world needs it. They need to see that, that movement of a real Christian in their midst, not a perverted, lukewarm individual. They need to see somebody in their midst that can speak, saith, thus saith God. And if their body's hurt, they'll reach over and lay their hands on them and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And let God heal them and then give him the glory for it. And I love to do it. I love to get through the power of the Holy Spirit, lay hands on somebody in the workplace when they say, Boy, I'm really feeling bad today. <clears throat> and I say, let me show you what God can do for you. And just reach over and lay hands on them and pray for them. And then a couple of minutes later, say, how you doing? Say, man, I feel good. And you say, well, praise God for it. Don't look at me because I used his power. <clears throat> the world needs that. They need to know that we serve a God who can and who will and does. And Paul's saying, if you want to see how it applies, look at me. We need a body of Christ that's dynamic, not false piousness. We need to be before God searching out for our lives where we need to be, developing within us those things which will cause us to be the vessel that God can use in a world that is in need. Nobody can do what you're called to do. You are an individual before God. If there's a need arises and God places you in that need, you just move on out because God wanted you there and nobody else in that place can do it as you can. There may be more there with talents, you think, but nobody can do it as you can. Why? Because God says, I don't call the multi-talented people to function for me. I call the faithful. And we lose that. We lose that thought. He's not calling those with great oratorical ability. He's calling the people who are there. Available. I've looked at your lives. You don't know how many times I've, I've used your lives for an example and, and, and when I needed strength. <clears throat> it's not that we're a church door rat. Every time the door's open, we scurry in. Some people look at it that way. I've, I've seen people come and they've asked for prayer. And, they, and the testimony after testimony after testimony is, I didn't feel like coming tonight. But praise God, I just prayed for strength and now I'm glad I'm here. And not only are you glad, but we're glad too because we're using your strength. And they go out and say, I didn't feel like coming, but I feel good now. I feel strengthened. It's like saying I can't go to that healing service because I'm too sick. Paul says, if you want an example, look at me. And he wasn't being pious. We need to come to the place in God when I can stand before you and say, if you want to see how a Christian ought to look, look at me. And it's not piousness. And it's not false pride. It's because I've been there and I've hurt 
and I've grown and I've learned and I've learned to accept what God will do and what he can do. And I've seen him validate that with truth. And I've seen myself come through the other side of the storm stronger because of it. And I can stand and say, well, if you want an example in Christ, you look at me. And I keep it that way because I stay before God. That's the way the Christian life ought to be. And when we have a person like that, that we can look at the fruits of their life, which is the only way you can tell something. You can't tell by what somebody's saying. When we look at the fruits of their life, and we say, what God says, <clears throat> and the way it's supposed to apply to us, and what I see coming out of that individual's life, they all line up, and they all look like Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Father, musicians, if you please. Father, in the name of Jesus, I think I've spoken exactly the words almost verbatim with a couple of instances just thrown in for accentuation that you gave to me to give to this people today. I've been as obedient to you as I can that I feel I could be. But right now, you're, I have to turn everything over to you because only you at this moment can do things that I couldn't do and have no desire to do is to change lives. Those people who don't know Jesus as Savior, you've, you've heard the Word. You've heard the cost. But you've also heard the assurances of what He can do in your life. And as the musicians play, <clears throat> if Christ, if you don't know Him through the blood, you're only one yes away from Him right now. You're only one yes away from giving Him your life and allowing Him to start today to change you. How many Christians? You're a Christian. You can say, I belong to Jesus. I made that decision. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Raise your hand up right now. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Oh, His hands go up. Hands go up all over this whole congregation reaffirming what Jesus said. Thank you. You can put them down. Now, if, you wasn't able, if you're not able to raise your hand there, you're only one yes away from God. I want you to just lift your hand right now and say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but I want to know Him. What you've spoken today has just spoken the words that's been in my heart. They speak truth to me, and I understand now what I must do. I don't understand everything, what will follow, but I understand enough to get started. And if you're that way right now, just lift your hand up. I'm going to pray for you, and God's going to do a work in your life. If you need Jesus right now to change your life and to start your life eternal right now at this moment, you raise your hand right now. Don't worry about what the person next to you are thinking. They're not going to have to go into eternity with you. They're not going to have to stand before God with you. Only you will stand before Him and answer for this moment, for this time, as to whether you did or whether you did not. And God's just, justice is pure. Hell is sure. Sin and punishment are sure, but salvation and eternal life through Christ Jesus are sure. And they're a certainty. And I can give you my word that they're everlasting. And he honors that. And if you need it, you lift your hand right now and say yes to God. By uplifting your hand, you'll be indicating yes to God. Right now, as we pray, as the Holy Spirit leads to your heart, you lift your hand right now. We're going to go on. I'm not going to belabor this. I'm not going to have to plead for God. You've heard the truth. I've spoken as plainly as you as I could. 
And if God's speaking to your heart this morning, if you couldn't lift your hand right now, you lift your hand and say yes to Jesus, and your life will never be the change, never be the same again. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for that uplifted hand. Hallelujah. Is there another? Is there another as the Holy Spirit moves? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Okay, if, you, if you've been with Christ for a long time, and some of the things that we've spoken today about, about not discerning the body of Christ, True, you've, you've observed the ordinances of the blood and drinking, have drunk the, uh, the blood and you've eaten the wafer, but you've never fully discerned the body of Christ. And there's areas within your life that you need to, to just yield before the Holy Spirit, allow Him to change. Raise your hand. Yes, praise God. Yes, 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 yes. I want those with upraised hands just to step out and come forward down by the altar. Just step out right now. Those with upraised hands, yes, as the Holy Spirit moves, you step out right now. Praise God. Allow Him to just start that work in your life right now. If you've not been discerning the body of Christ, if you've not been caring enough in your care about the body, if you've not been feeling enough, if you desire a new area within the Holy Spirit, and you want Him to start renewing things and refreshing you, you come forth right now. Step out right now. As many, many come. Hallelujah. Saints of God, you pray. You pray right now. Somebody needs your strength right now. Somebody has need of your strength right now. You pray. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. 